You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always typical lydia today's show we're going to be doing the 1990 anthology horror classic tales from the dark side colon the movie emphasis on the colon (laughs) oh wait that makes it sound like it's shit it does Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is a lydia pick it is because it's not shit and it's really one of my favorite films for a long time, like since it came out, I was really impressed with this film when it came out. It's one of the few times that the hype or my excitement for something equated to the actual thing that came out and has had that longevity. And not just with me. A lot of people really hold this in high regard and I can see why. Like, it's a great anthology movie. And this is a sort of horror anthology movie I want all horror anthologies to be. And like Creepshow aside, sure, like Creepshow's great. But this spoke to me a little more, I think... Because comic books are are nice and all, but they're not as much me as this almost fairy tale take. And you've got things like Egyptology. You've got this, the love story, which I'll I'll get more into when we actually cover that segment. And we've got like a Stephen King Romero gig, which is more than I could ever dream for in an anthology. Mm -hmm. And it's the sort of thing that my mother was very excited about because I did picked this up as a rental with my mom and probably watched it a dent. I probably rented it a dozen times. Uh, this was the sort of thing that she was excited about. And same with my friend Terry. And I don't remember really if we'd rented it for me and Terry to watch, or if my mom had rented it to watch, and then me and Terry rented it later. I, I know that it became a, a rental, a serial rental. Uh, it was in the same space as Creepshow, and I didn't know because the internet told me that this was supposed to be Creepshow 3. It's the sort of thing I wouldn't have known back then. That is one of those things that is circulated as common information. It's something that Tom Savini had spouted out at one point. There's no official record that that is fact. I do believe that in a lot of ways, this is a spiritual successor to that. I mean, not only are you having some production elements that were supposed to be in Creepshow 2 moved over into this particular film, Mm -hmm. but also stories that were meant to be incorporated um, beyond that, not just people who worked on this were supposed to work on that, and then stories move over into this. Some stories that get thrown away from anthologies become entire movies, like Mm -hmm. The Gate, and we've talked about that when we covered that film, too. But you have always talked about how much you like Tales from the Dark Side. I'm pretty sure the last time we did an anthology film. It was Creepshow, correct? Or did yeah. we do another? I think Creepshow is the only anthology one that we've done. And so now we're doing this. And you mentioned it then. I don't know if it's on the episode or not, but I, you did, definitely in passing. And Tales from the Dark Side has been something that you have flirted with us doing on the show a lot, particularly behind the scenes. For those of you who don't know, when we do the show, we have a master list of films that we want to cover. And then, of course, you guys' requests get shuffled in there where we feel it might be appropriate and also try to get to it in a timely manner. But this is a film that you've 
constantly been mentioning almost imagine if imagine if a, a childlike whimsy a fairy tale like whimsy one might say yeah like like i'm i'm writing it in a little tiny storybook little hardcover storybook called tales from the dark side that That's i'm going to hand to that boy in my pantry <laughs> timmy yeah all those uh, like extra noises you hear while we're recording people it's usually not people outside it's timmy or chris <laughs> from buying torture cast that i keep in the basement yeah well, I'm glad I got out of there. Yeah, I am glad you got out of there, too. <laughs> because, yeah, this did hang out on the uncategorized tab of our spreadsheet for the longest time. And I wanted to find somewhere to slip it in. And it, it maybe it doesn't slip in that well after Friday the 13th, but it has that same sort of feel to me. It's that important to me. And it slips in right before Tales from the Hood. Yeah, well, yeah. which is the fan request coming up. But today, fuck all that. We are here to talk about Tales from the Dark Side. My experience with this film, many, many years ago. We've been doing that a lot lately. I feel as though we've been tackling films that I had seen one time as a kid on TV or through rentals and then never, ever saw it again. Like Friday the 13th. Like Friday the 13th. <laughs> no. Boy, am yeah. I done with this picture. <laughs> no. <laughs> this Tales from the Dark Side is very much that. A film that I fucking barely remembered, really. Which makes it fun, I think. I remembered the cat scene, cat out of the mouth scene, and I couldn't remember while we were watching the, the, the cat from hell sequence. I couldn't remember if that was from this mm -hmm. or I was thinking about that scene from Cat in the Brain. You know that flick? So I was I was getting really confused. I was thinking, there's something really gory with a cat. Is it in this? I don't want to say anything because I don't want to sound dumb. Like I don't know horror <laughs> movies or something like that. Well, you can sound dumb all the time. I'm used to it. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but I, I can see that because that the tone of that film doesn't really lend itself up until the moment that you're seeing it on screen to that sort of gore. And... It's more like the first segment lends itself to more gore, like you're waiting for it to be far more gory than it is. But you get all that payoff, or most of that payoff, in The Cat from Hell of all segments. I think if you're going to do something like a normal animal that you wouldn't really think is killing people, and then you're going to have it kill people, because how many times... If you'll pardon the expression, how many times can you, how many different ways can you skin the cat, right? Mm -hmm. So you have the cat. We know the old tale of cat smothering babies. We know the tale of, oh, watch yourself. You're going to fall down the stairs and hit the landing with and that cat's cat. Cat's going to trip you. Cat's going to trip or you. Or steals your breath at night. Yeah, steals your breath at night. What's the other thing we can do? Well, I mean, you could just shove the whole thing down <laughs> your mouth, I guess. That ought to kill you. It kind of reminds me of the scene not that didn't make it into the movie uh, of American Psycho with the rat. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of like another another version of that using mm. cats in a way. It sort of reminds me of that, but that came after, of course. That's is a sort of that's the sort of segment that my dad would probably like because my dad's a big cat, cat hater. But anyway, oh, really. But Deb, Debbie Harry. Ray Don Chong, this is the sort of thing that my parents were all over, especially Stephen King. Mm -hmm. This is the sort of thing that really spoke to a lot of horror fans when this was coming out. And Christian Slater, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi. Th this has a crazy cast that I didn't even... It was 
I was really in that mindset of who's who's behind door number three. Because <laughs> <laughs> every time a new person showed up on screen, I was like, oh, wow, this is a very famous person. You recognize almost every single person in this film, save the cab drivers. Save the cab drivers and save a, a couple of other people. But even if you don't know their name, you know their face. Like Harry from Dexter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it the, is. It was a, like watch like when we watched Flatliners, we had that same sort of experience. Yeah. Although there was only like the core cast, and we knew who they were oh, from for looking sure. at the floating heads on the fucking cover. But this is yeah, well, who's behind door number three? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Newsflash: It's Steve Buscemi. <laughs> All right. Yeah, <laughs> and in a very early role, um, not a lot of change with a lot of these actors for so many years ago. Nineteen ninety. Mm-hmm. You know, I have some friends of mine were two years old when this came out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or or younger. Oh my god. Yeah, I, I I definitely feel as though it really it really is a film that horror fans really seem to dig because I hear it mentioned a lot, but also one that doesn't get as much love as a creep show, and it hasn't gotten a big sexy Blu-ray release. Has oh, I bet you it's coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sc- oh, Scream did uh, Dead Time Stories, mm-hmm. and that got a release. I wonder why they haven't gotten to Tales. I never liked Dead Time Stories as much. And that was when, like, Dead Time Stories came around. I wanted it to be this, especially from the cool cover. The cover of that was very rad. This cover for this movie. Wow, that's cool, too. I like it a lot. And that's not as cool as Dead Time Stories. I don't know. I like the fucking, I'm assuming it's the gargoyle reading the book. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which doesn't actually happen. Well, no, but I could assume that gargoyle could read. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, in between boyfriends. <laughs> but yeah, I had bought Chris the hardcover script of the Joe Hill version of this, the reboot of this. Um, the reboot of the series. So like not reboot of the film, reboot of the series. That's right. I bought it from the moment it hit shelves and being the broken head adult I am, I did not read it and I gift wrapped it immediately because it was a gift. It wasn't for me to read. So I haven't read it like an <laughs> <Is> idiot. <laughs> Chris opens it. Hey, who read this book? It's all used up. You used up all the reading. I can't read this. Oh, you cracked the spine. Yeah. I'm that asshole who gets a a book gift for Christmas and I look at the spine. (laughs) Noted for when I get you a book one of these days. You bought me a book. I did. Well, you didn't buy me a book. I didn't buy you a book. I ended up with a book from you. That's true, yeah. Yeah. Spine wasn't cracked. Well, no, because I didn't open it. See? (laughs) Now, me and my uncle are old pros at reading books without cracking the spine. Do you, you cradle it? Them. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I read comic books. And when I see people spread the comic books really wide, I start getting stressed out because... Me too. I, 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 those are so fragile, man. My least favorite thing is when somebody picks up a graphic novel, like a hardbound, and then like flattens it and cr- and creases it like it like runs their palm up the middle of the pages to flatten everything out i just oh like quiver god. yeah oh my god i remember somebody handing me uh, a friend of mine he was getting me some books on the side and he handed me one and it had a bend in the spine of a line bend and i could tell that it's from it it either bent in the box or somebody opened it really wide and that's where those bends come from i Still had that comic book, but I went to the store and bought another one that just didn't have the bend in it because that's how crazy I am. Pretty crazy, Wes. Pretty crazy. And that's not the only time I've done that. Yeah. 
I hope to read it someday. I really do. But if you want to know what we're missing, then Chris knows. And so does Joe Hill. And whoever else has seen the pilot. Because there isn't a streaming service that shows unaired pilots. Like I wish there was. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. There is a Tales from the Dark Side show reboot out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see. And the reason why we emphasize the colon, the movie, because this was a television show back in the 80s. Yeah. And whenever you go to look up anything on this, you're apt to find news on the reboot uh, all the episodes of the st- of the show, and you have to actually look for the movie. Where when I was a kid, when the internet didn't exist, the only tales from the dark side there was was the fucking movie. I was not aware that this was a TV show. Now, listen, the TV show was airing yeah. before I was born, so I don't. I'm not totally surprised. I mean, even when this movie came out, when tales from the dark side was old hat, I was six. So. And it's not as much of a of a go to top of mind horror anthology mm-hmm. as Tales from the Crypt. No, exactly. And I watched Tales from the Crypt as a kid, as I've I've talked uh, at length about in the other show, Panels of Blood. But Tales from the Crypt was something that I really had done with my mother exclusively. That was our our HBO programming back when HBO was basically just that and uh, Arliss. That was what I watched and. So Tales from the Dark Side was another horror anthology, and I'm seventy to eighty percent sure that my parents had rented this. I don't. I don't think that I watched this on TV. I think this was a rental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that it was pretty hot rental property, obviously, because I was the one checking it out over and over and over and over. Mm-hmm, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. If that was a book, it had a creased spine. Yeah, yeah. That old VHS is all beat up. Yeah. Really, Tales from the Dark Side again. Little Lydia. Oh, yeah. Every day. Over and over. Mostly for the first segment. That was my favorite as a kid. Really? Mm-hmm. So you like the mummy section. Let me ask you this. And I did ask you this on Creep Show. What's your favorite sequence now? Now it's the final one. The Lover's Vow. I agree. I love that story. It's really good. It grew on me. It had to grow on me. When I was a kid, I found it boring I liked the end game a lot. Mm-hmm. I really I like gargoyles a mm-hmm. lot, but everything from the very beginning scene to the end scene was just like blahdy blah blah to me. Mm-hmm. But now it's definitely grown on me, and I always had a huge chip on my shoulder with stories like that too, because that like it's Arabian Nights or something, right? Not not interesting to me whatsoever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a very old story construct. You you can find stories like that in. A old Greek mythology and ancient Japanese mythology, and it's they're everywhere, right? This idea of love and and supernatural creatures and broken vows and all kinds of stuff like and that. And it's based on a yokai, is it not? Like I can't, I don't know what specific story. It reminds me of Snake Wife a little tiny bit, but not really. So the the yokai is sort of a blanket term that could, could yes, it could describe. Something like this. It's an evil spirit. Yeah. Of some kind. But there is a specific story it's based on, apparently. I just don't have the time. And I have my Encyclopedia of Asian Horror and Mythology, and I took a flip through it and nothing popped out right away. But okay. I haven't read that in like from cover to cover, mm-hmm. so I don't know. But there mm-hmm. is apparently a story that that's based on. Mm-hmm. Um, this has a fountain. I can see why this spoke to me so much as a kid. Like I was saying, like Egyptology. Mm-hmm. We're sitting here looking at my mother's copy of the Egyptian Book of the Dead. Yes, we were, yeah. One cool. of my favorite childhood toys was the National Geographic issue of 
King Tut's tomb with the holographic cover. Oh, cool, yeah. Because yeah, I was that big of a geek, I guess, or just mm-hmm. like yellow booklets with square front pieces. I had a really big Egyptology phase in my life, too. It seemed as though these phases of mine, there was no rhyme or reason to it. Once I really liked the paranormal and UFOs, and then I like Egyptology, and then for one summer, I'm just super into Garfield. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. That happened to me, too. Definitely, because I was never a Heathcliff fan. Garfield. Oh no, for sure. Yeah. Heathcliff down here, and I'm I'm touching the floor, guys, and Garfield up here. Yeah. I'm sorry if you're a Heathcliff fan, but you're wrong. There, I said it. Yeah, I agree too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, it definitely was of of great interest to me. I already knew uh, some of the process of mummification yeah. at that time as a kid. So it was like really fascinating to me. I, I definitely learned a lot about it. I think the thing about the, the kids fascination with mummification, first of all, there is so many books and documentaries about Egypt, particularly when we were growing up at a time where people still had cable and the TLC and discovery channel and A&E actually played documentaries. Mm-hmm. So before that, it was honey boo boo. But before it was just a bunch of crap. But and I'm sorry to sound like an old man that hates things, but it's crap. But it, those stations used to be great. And if you're into that dark macabre stuff, the 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 Egyptians' fascination with death and burial rituals, well, it's right off uh, a horror kid's alley, right? Completely, completely. Yeah, that's why I liked the 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 Universal Mummy movies and the Hammer Mummy movies when I was a kid so much because. Mummies were a thing that you could go to a museum and see. I mean, I can't go to a museum and go see a vampire, but I can go to a museum and go see a mummy. No, you just come to my house. Well, yeah, (laughs) there's that. (laughs) But I didn't know you when I was a kid. Yeah, true story. Yeah. As sad as that fucking reality is. I'd have seemed so old to you then, too, which is hilarious. (laughs) You would have. You would have, even though you're only slightly older than me. Yeah. Not because I'm a vampire. Not because you're a vampire, no. Mm -hmm. But... What is this fucking movie about, even anyways? It is about how you should and will do anything and go out of your way for a dinner party. (laughs) Also teaches you a lot about just getting to what you're doing. Don't get distracted. Yeah, that is the moral of the story completely. Yeah, you don't want your goose cooked, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> you better, you know, not procrastinate and don't mm-hmm. let other people get in your way. Time vampires. I this know, fucking right? kid, Timmy, the yeah. time vampire. I like that he's got a cliche 80s kid name, Timmy. 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 And of course he's wearing white high top sneakers. They probably have Velcro <laughs> on them somewhere. That weird little kid. He was doing a paper route, collecting, because his brother... Couldn't make the paper route and ended up knocking on Debbie Harry's door <laughs> of Blondie fame. If if anyone doesn't, mm-hmm. even the kid Matthew Harry. Lawrence is was has been in a million fucking things. He was in that sitcom Boy Meets World, which I did recognize him from. But he was in Mrs. Doubtfire. He's in everything. He was that eighties boy, or sorry, nineties yeah. boy. He was just nineties generic boy. Yeah, yeah. So here, yeah, if someone ever says that there's no good horror in the nineties. This started out in the 90s. There you go. bang. There you go. I think. There you go. Um, but yeah, so this this boy ends up in the house of a witch, basically. Mm-hmm. So she seems to be a cannibal of a witch of some sort. They're having a meeting with eight people or a mm-hmm. dinner party. 
Um, Do you think that they know that the people at the dinner par- party know that they're having little boy for dinner? They must. And she's having conversations on the phone about preparation and things like that and bringing champagne. I don't know. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't. She has a massive oven, too. Oh, God. It's really a crematorium in there. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ovens aren't this deep. That's a custom job. I wouldn't mind an oven like that. I would never use a goddamn thing. I was but... gonna, what were you going to put in there? A deer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. An entire deer. 24 rabbits. <laughs> Half of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like a horror experiment. Like, yeah. yeah. What, what would have fit in that oven better, me or a deer? Use your imag- imaginations, audience, about how big I actually am. <laughs> <laughs> a quarter of a moose. But that is, this is going to serve as our wraparound story. The, I love anthology stories that have a nice interesting way to bookend the story. Now, Creepshow is going to hit you, hit little Chibi Wes with animation and... The Crypt Keeper and pages turning. Oh, yeah. And and basically fucking the parody of a Twisted Sister video and shit. And all of this crazy shit that's going on. And so it's very, very interesting. Tales of the Dark Side is a little bit more subtle. Brings you into this neighborhood, idyllic, suburban, 80s lifestyle. And here looks like an affluent woman of the 80s. Maybe she's a businesswoman. Or a librarian. Or a librarian. A very very successful librarian. I think she probably is just generic 80s socialite. Just probably is on the condo board or something. But in, in her closet, she's got a fucking dungeon with a boy in it. An acute case of boy. (laughs) <laughs> An acute case of boy. Oh, she's not suffering with the boy, though. She's treating it. Yeah, as yeah, it's true. And she's describing how she's going to cook him and cutting him open. And I, I mean, we've seen, you know, when cannibals talk about how they, they cook people, this is the same description they give. Or the witch in Hansel and Gretel. It's very Hansel and Gretel minus the Gretel. Yeah, that's true. That's mm-hmm. true. Fattening up with cookies, no less. I know. I know. I mean, I feel that's just too many cookies. There, you could just give them a bunch of bread. Or why not give them something that'll flavor them a little bit? Like apples. Yeah, Yams. There you go. Just feed them full of sweet potato. There you go. That's what I would do. Yeah, yeah, Cookies. I no, mean, yeah, that, I wouldn't want that just... fatty, greasy, especially store-bought ones. You think yeah. a woman like that would at least have homemade cookies handy? No. Buck 49 for those crappy little cookies. Just feed them butter. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. I'd eat butter. <laughs> Yuck. I would eat... Well, I don't even feel like sweet potato. I don't really like sweet potato that much. But to stuff it in a pig or a person uh, that you're about to cook, that that makes a lot more sense than fucking cookies. And he hasn't been in there that long, so I don't know how she's supposed to fatten him up. But then we're getting way too particular. That's true, because the only point is that to distract this woman from cooking him, from at least prepping his organs, cutting him open lengthwise, get those organs out of there, stuff him full of crap, he has had himself a little bit of entertainment in that dungeon. It's not all just cookies and fieldstone. No, it's a giant old book called yeah. Tales from the Dark Side. And this just so happens to be the favorite book of the woman that is cooking this boy. She tells him that this was her favorite book as a kid. So I don't know why he needs to read her these stories. Yeah. Why I she s- doesn't seem to know the end of them. Like, has it been so long that she forgets? I think that if I were to hand you my- a book, Lydia... And say, Lydia, this was my favorite book. I've read this book so many times. I used to read it all the time as a kid. 
I would not need you to say, hey, Wes, let me tell you, let me read you chapter and verse of this particular book. No, thanks, Lids. This is for you to enjoy. Yeah. I, I know this book. We can talk about it later, later, like we're in a book club. But for now, but maybe she's just so into it. It's like anytime I watch Aliens, no matter how many times I've watched that movie, I watched it recently and I'm so engaged. Like when I sit down and watch this, sure, I was talking a little bit, but that's because we were talking about the show particularly. Yeah. But like when this is on, I could watch it just a zillion times. And every time I'm going to just hunker down and mm-hmm. all my attention goes into it and I enjoy the living hell out of it every time. Even the wraparound, and this being a little bit of a move to either incorporate the wraparound so deeply mm-hmm. into the story. And mm-hmm. I, I think of the, the anthology story Southbound when oh, I think of... wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah, where the, the wraparound, there is a wraparound there, and it is just so embedded into each story, right? Or devoid of wraparound entirely, and it's like, this is an anthology. Here we're introducing the first show and directed by this person written by that person and then they just roll into it and then they cut to black or whatever and introduce the next one and the next one they just don't do a wraparound whatsoever so Mm -hmm. it's like a showcase like abc's of death yeah abc's of death or did vhs did they do a wraparound not that i recall oh they had uh the finding of the tapes right okay okay, okay, yeah okay which isn't a very compelling story but no it's just an excuse to have this lo-fi anthology series and little tiny things happen in between popping tapes in but yeah Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no complaints vhs is pretty cool um or a really another really ingrained one tales of halloween has a very deeply ingrained story to the point that each story feeds into the other ones i've uh the stories of anthology books being written about hotels that are like that where every story sort of weaves in among all the other ones like um american horror story is all mm. going to weave into one another the way that they do um that's that's another take there isn't this like wraparound host because if anything betty debbie harry the witch or cannibal woman socialite mm-hmm. the wasp in this story she is the crypt keeper in a way yeah she is okay you say timmy is but not really yeah, timmy is also timmy. kind of the <laughs> timmy is kind of the crypt keeper because his little boy voice sets up every single story because he starts reading everything. Yeah. Like it's the fucking Princess Bride. And he fades out and then the story starts, basically. Mm-hmm. Not unlike Creep Show fading in and out of the panels. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think that they need to come back to uh, a hosted wraparound story like this for anthologies. I really hope that someone does. Yeah. I've been really spending a lot of time with horror hosts lately. Just by virtue of the fact that Panels of Blood pays a lot of tribute to that, and so do old horror writers and and things like that. I'd been recently getting back into more Vampirella, and that's how she started off in the Warren comics. And, and of course, going back and doing a lot of research for these things, particularly old horror radio programs from the 30s, which all had hosts, which mm-hmm. is what these comic books from the 50s were emulating. So... Yeah, more like let's bring horror hosts back. Yeah, outside of podcasts, we kind of are horror hosts. We are kind of. You're even more so with Panels of Blood. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, let's keep up. Yeah, let's keep up. <laughs> oh my. But yeah, into our first story, mm-hmm. Lot 249. Mm-hmm. Not a very interesting title. No, no, no. They could what? call it The Mummy's Curse. 
Oh, yeah. wait, that's Taken. The, the, yeah, Mummy's Hand. Wait, that's also uh, Taken. Um, Hooked. The Mummy Returns? Wait, that's a thing, too. Hmm. <laughs> I guess we'll have to call it Lot 249. But that's yeah. the original title, right? Like, it was adapted from a Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Written in 1892, which makes sense because we were sort of talking about this when it was happening. Like, whoever wrote this knew a lot about Egyptology because mm-hmm. you have to have such a specificity and so much knowledge to be able to boil down like this vast amount of knowledge about Egyptology into little tiny snippets that make sense, are accurate enough, and are still entertaining without you know, jargonizing everything. Like the example I tossed out was that little limerick joke. Uh, Johnny was a little boy. He isn't anymore because what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. Yes. My favorite little limerick joke. And it was probably written by a chemical engineer who mm-hmm. thought that was fucking, that shit was hilarious mm-hmm. and could memorize the t- table of elements. But it's still funny to someone like Wesseri, who doesn't know <laughs> yeah. shit from Shinola when it comes to the periodic table. That's true. Yeah. It wouldn't be so funny to a four-year-old who doesn't know, well, basically only knows shit and Shinola. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it's still you still have to have a certain amount of expertise. Arthur Cannon Doyle, living when he did at the time when Carter was just beginning his trips to Egypt, mm-hmm. who would eventually find King Tut's tomb. Like, yeah. it was, there was a discovery every year it seemed and news happened a lot slower of course so to say That's annual true. discoveries it was probably a lot more rampant than that and during their summer season over our winters but the, so, the tail end of the 19th century into the 20th century all the way up until the 30s there was a massive fascination with egypt all of this stuff was so in people's mind it was this they were touring mummies far yeah. more. Like, the last and only mummy I've seen was at the ROM, and it's the same mummy they've had for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's the only mummy I've seen, but they, there was a much larger chance someone living in England would see mummies on a regular-ish basis, mm-hmm. you know? They mm-hmm. were carting these things around. Yeah, and it is interesting that one of the things that... So, when uh, Sir Arthur had written this story, this was well before Universal had made the mummy and more importantly which is what i compared this to the mummy's hand which is the 1940s one because the first film in the universal franchise or series was imhotep and the interesting thing about this that monster was that universal didn't adapt this from any book it the mummy was its own thing in the story of imhotep and anaxunamun was this own thing that they had done and then that never happened again. Not until the 1999 remake did they touch those characters again. But the mummy, every other mummy, uh, you know, the ones that we're most familiar with, played by Lon Chaney Jr., mm-hmm. that was Karis. And Karis was an instrument of destruction for other people. Whereas Imhotep is, it's very much a love story, the first mummy film. And this mummy, in this story, seems to be an agent of whomever summons him yeah. and then kills, which is basically what Karis had done. Now, if this was in the original story written all those years ago, I would submit that somebody at Universal was aware of that story because even though there's like the methodology of Karis in, in the original film is basically just fucking throttles people and manhandles them to death. Mm-hmm. He doesn't 
to start trying start to, to start trying to mummify people. Yeah. But I would be shocked if someone who wrote that script was not aware of this story. Oh, completely. Because it yeah. is very, very similar. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. not a love story or a curse story necessarily. No. Yeah. No. No. You're cursed by the person that summoned them, perhaps, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. Only because they're a malicious person. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a little bit more meat on on the on the, the Mummy sequels just because of the fact that they're feature-length fucking movies, so there's more padding in it. But this very concise story is, you could break it down and be, oh, this is exactly how Karis operated. Exactly. And you could even inflate this to a feature-length story, and it would probably be... Again, my most favorite mummy story, because this little tiny short hidden in this gem of an anthology is my favorite mummy film, period. It's got the coolest looking mummy. It's got the cruelest mummy. It's got the most gory mummy. It's got a mummy that's doing stuff like pulling brains out of fucking noses. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, high fives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you definitely think that the mummy would have gotten a lot more play had it not just been a, a short, basically, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you feel, well, the mummy got defeated kind of easily. But then you have to remember, they don't really have a lot of time to pull the taffy on this. It really has to just be the baseline story elements. No, like you had come to a point where you're like, oh, Christian Slater escalated pretty quickly to like, I'm going to light you on fire. (laughs) But like you said, even then, that there isn't a lot of time to play. No. Because, and we are introduced to, you know, this, the story at hand. You know, these are students. One of them is a plagiarist. The other one's upset about it. Uh, Christian Slater just has cool hair. Holy fuck does he have cool hair. Christian Slater is a creepily... Ever since Pump Up the Volume, this guy has looked exactly the fucking same. That same flippy hair. Yeah. That same look on his eyes. We had to look it up to see if he's ever had a different hairstyle. Hard Rain is the only one I could really find off the top, but I didn't look that <laughs> deeply either. I'm no Christian mm-hmm. Slater expert. Outside of his bit in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. And... You know, other little, like Heathers. You still haven't seen Heathers, so I, I don't want to talk about I, it. But I know, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll find it and I'll hand deliver it. <laughs> Can but, you make me watch it like Clockwork Orange? <laughs> it's like, yeah, Lidvecco technique, that's what I'll do. I'll, I'll crank your eyelids open. Yeah. <laughs> I promise to water them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Steve Buscemi has a mummy. Because what, like student of history doesn't who's broke by the way he's that's why he's broke because he bought a mummy yeah and he also didn't get the scholarship so he's pretty pissed about that so he mm-hmm. took what money he had and bought a mummy whatever okay i guess he understood the whole end game of this which is weird that he did i guess he deserved that scholarship if he knows what mummy to buy and what mummy has a scroll in it what mummy he can control I don't know. It just seems too much. But we don't have a lot of time to to work out the Mm -hmm. logistics of this, I suppose. And we do know that Steve Buscemi was screwed out of his... It seems as though someone had put a hot tip on him, that he had done something unsavory. He looks like the type of person that would do something unsavory. Oh, for sure. Steve Buscemi has a look about him. And listen, I'm sure he's a sweet fucking dude. And he's a hell of an actor. Oh, he's a hell of an actor. Right. He's one of my favorites. Him and Christian Slater both. I really like them in this because they're... They persist. But I mean, him sitting there, with, standing there with his hands in his pockets constantly and that slant in his spine and that tilt in his head, he looks creepy as fuck. In this. He looks like somebody, if you were to say, oh, yeah, that guy, that guy, and you say something, any criminal activity, and you would you would instantly just agree. You, yeah, yeah. He's he prob- into that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's into that. <laughs> 
But yeah, I really enjoy the mummy in this because it looks like any mummy that you've seen. It looks like the mummy I've seen at the ROM. It looks like what I envisioned a mummy to look like. It's not uh, a cinematic mummy. It's mm-hmm. not like, you know, a Michael Bay version of a mummy or whatever. Yeah. It is, it's not Monster Squad. It's, it's, uh, there's no. He's not dripping and oozing. No, he's very dusty. Yeah. He's very dusty. A lot of impact dust, as they call it in the biz. Yeah. Yeah. I like this dusty mummy. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool, especially when you administer any damage towards him. Now, uh, listen, the thing that's very interesting about this mummy, and uh, again, you have to uh, forgive me while I'm watching this film. I don't, I remembered some things, but I didn't really remember a whole hell of a lot. So when the mummy enters the house to kill Biff or whoever this fucking guy is, yeah, the, the, the blonde, the blonde, Amber Crombie and Fitch model guy that. That, like, you know, he would be a bully in Revenge of the Nerds. The mummy is walking in there and grabbing a a coat hanger. And I'm instantly thinking, really? So this guy enters this house and, like, Michael fucking Myers goes to a closet and fucks around with coat hangers. (laughs) I I, I was like, there, I I was looking at the house as the mummy was walking through it. And I said, he could kill this guy with anything. He could kill this guy as effectively with a book from that shelf as he could with this coat hanger. Cause he's sitting there and I'm also thinking 3000 years ago, these coat hangers weren't this. How does he know where to look, how to find these things? But what he's doing lids that, you know, yeah. and I know now and what our audience doesn't know is he is making himself a hook very specifically because he wants to scramble up them brains. Yeah. And pull them out the nose. Now, I'm always confused about this because I've heard pulling the brain out, but I've always understood that the brain, the human brain has about the consistency of a mushroom. So I was always told that the the Egyptians scrambled it into a a slurry almost and then drained it out of the head. Uh, And then rubbed it all over the skin because it's the best tanning agent. Sure. And... And and but with this brain gets pulled right out. It's it's he he makes a little meal out of it. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. eat it. He's prepping it for Julianne Moore. <laughs> See what I misremembered this. The way that people misremember the meat hook scene in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. I swore you saw brain matter come out of somebody's nose. And I no. guess just me and Terry hyping it up as kids, talking it out, mm-hmm. uh, reenacting it, and making like oh, yeah. light of it, and being creeped out and grossed out by it, knowing what we knew about Egyptology, mm-hmm. and talking it up. Yeah, but I mean, it's like Rosemary's Baby. It's like yeah. Sleepaway Camp. There's all these things that happen. Oh, you saw his eyes. Yeah, 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 exactly. You saw what the baby looked like. Well, yeah, yeah, cloven hooves yeah. and and sl- tail, red skin. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, so so there's all kinds of examples in horror, but that shows you how effective this is because what they do show you is a lot of blood. Yeah, there's no interpretation about what is happening, and just in case you're not familiar with the mummification process, when they're going through the body, Steve Buscemi's character will explain a lot about it. And, and getting off on the idea of telling Christian Slater the, the, the ins and outs, if you'll pardon the expression, of, of removing a brain. And, and I feel any time that I've ever seen in cinema somebody describing how they removed the brain from the, from the head, everyone delivers the line in the exact same way. Where they're, 
really try. It's like a fucking creepy crawlies commercial from the nineties, yeah, where like right? the little boy is trying to like gross out his sister. He's like, oh, they stick the hook up the nose and pull the brains out. Mm, pretty <laughs> gross, right? And whoever they're telling has never heard of this before, and they're absolutely, oh, that's oh, horrible. Oh, my God. I am mortified. It's all the exact same fucking reaction. Which is ridiculous. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the equivalent, the narrative equivalent of throwing a rubber spider on your sister's lap mm-hmm. in those commercials. <laughs> but we find herbs and spices inside this mummy. We find a scroll. This scroll, by the way, is what is going to be the MacGuffin of this story. I'm not really clear what a MacGuffin is. So a MacGuffin, uh, a crux, any sort of narrative thing that exists to move the plot forward. So this scroll exists within the plot to make the mummy become alive. And so Steve Buscemi has an instrument to control said mummy. That's why the scroll exists. Well, no, the scroll exists because the old pharaohs put it in him. Yes, Lydia. That is also why the scroll exists. Boy, I tell you, after this mummy starts to killing, I think that we're done with the killing. Because because what else do you? Who else do you need to kill? Everybody. Everybody. Well, he's a geek. Lots of people have wronged him. I'm sure. It's true. He probably saw Revenge of the Nerds too. <laughs> like this Julianne Moore lady's pretty good looking. Better kill her. I wasn't entirely. Now, hang on a second here. I know that the couple. Those couples, basically the, the, the good-looking couple that Julianne Moore is from. And Julianne Moore always looks fantastic. Although what I will say about this film is she definitely has the big 80s hair, which normally I see her in everything. And she has very, very straight hair and a lot of times very short hair. Yeah. But it's interesting to see it just very big. Yeah. Almost yeah. didn't recognize her. And there's one scene where she's wearing 80s workout clothes. And I just keep thinking to myself, wow, it's so funny to see all these people dressed like cartoon characters from a decade. That's hilarious in a way. But yeah, she I and she also hasn't aged a day it seems. No, no she looks fantastic now. Um Christian Slater too. Even Steve Buscemi. I mean, he looks no, really. just like that. No, really. Yeah. <laughs> like, they they've all aged incredibly well. Yeah. It's amazing. The way the way. movie stars do, I guess. Maybe they're mummified. <laughs> they probably are supernatural beasts. But yeah, um she wrote the essay Yes. That got this scholarship that Mm -hmm. Steve Buscemi thought was rightfully his. Yeah. That's how, that's why she had to die. Not because she's good looking. And even she says that she gives him a boner, but. Yeah, she's aware of it. She says, listen, I get it. That is Christian Slater's sister, not in real life, but in the story. And what's crazy is this is where Christian Slater just turns on a dime. And becomes the bad guy, I guess, <laughs> if you consider all this bad. He just sort of all want, wants this to all end. He doesn't want this mummy rampaging anymore. That's what I think his real motivation is. I think he so. He wants to just watch the game and be uninterrupted and go to school and not have this drama. It's true. And he really... But he fucks up that mummy. Yeah. He fucks it up. He cuts its leg off, breaks its fingers off, t- rips it, rips with his bare hands its arm off, and then mocks the fact that the only finger it has left is its middle finger, putting it in the fireplace. He's got some funny lines, and I really like that the mummy's like scrambling on the floor after him, and he just like narrowly escapes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. quite by happenstance because he's stomping around making jokes about it. Mm-hmm. it. It's actually a really funny scene. But he does fuck that mummy up, and he knows how to with an electric carving knife. <laughs> Anytime I see a carving knife, it's all Rocky Horror to me. Yeah. 
Christian Slater looks absolutely out of his fucking mind. And he's threatening to burn Steve Buscemi alive with the thesis all around. Like, he's going to burn him with his thesis until he gets the scroll that he wants. And then he burns the scroll. But these stories, much like classic horror of the day, they're all O. Henry's. They all have a twist ending. Yeah. And the twist in this is why I can't even... I can't paraphrase the joke because... He uses a lot of big words. <laughs> You're just thinking of a guy that can't tell a third dynasty scroll from um, fourth century Sumerian pictograph porn or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, the cab driver's like, what are you laughing about? And 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 so, yeah, he switched the scrolls. And so Christian Slater... So, so in the difference between classic horror stories, especially in comics, generally speaking... It would be Steve Buscemi's character who was the, you know, his Machiavellian plans of resurrecting this mummy to get revenge on people that screwed him out of a scholarship. He would be punished. But beca- he's monstrosaur with the cask of Montalado, in a way. Mm-hmm. He's he he has the last laugh. He does. He does because oh shit, he may not be able to summon that mummy anymore because Christian Slater cut its head in half and crickets spilled everywhere. He, the, the people that the mummy killed can come back as undead and they're going to kill him because, because the mummy, by the way, we skipped over this when they killed Julianne Moore's character, he stuffed her with flowers. Hmm. How precious. Isn't that thoughtful? It's pretty romantic. Mm -hmm. I always wondered. She hated those chrysanthemums anyway. Yeah, it's true. She gets the sentiment, but geez. Mm hmm. (laughs) <laughs> but that's what they're going to do to Christian Slater's character. Lovely stuff. They do remind me sort of of the two water zombies from Something to Tide You Over. Yeah, yeah, yeah the old creep show movie. Yeah. yeah. I I definitely feel this. And not only, not only with the, the, the idea of the story, it's just visually. Yeah, visually. If they, if they had seaweed draped all over them, it would be a perfect uh, match. The way they come to the door with one-liners. Yeah. But then we're all out of here. Credits, right? Movie's over. Yeah, that's it. See you later. (laughs) But Timmy. Oh, Timmy. Yeah. Doesn't want to be cooked. He doesn't want to be eviscerated, much like this mummy. He wants to tell her another story. Just Mm -hmm. kill time. That's true. Yeah. Now, this witch, cannibal woman, loves love stories. But Timmy doesn't really have any love stories that he knows about. I guess not. But he does have a really scary story. I, the story was so scary, he had to put it down and start again. Which is really silly to me. Like, it's a good story. I like the story a lot. Yes. But it's not that scary. I don't find it scary. I don't find it scary either. In yeah. the same way that I don't find Monkey Shine scary. <laughs> or what was that movie with the baboon? Shakira? Shakara? Or some crap yeah, like that? <laughs> and Link. Link is another monkey story. If you're talking about monkey stories. Yeah, I don't know why don't we know. keep going to, to monkeys when we're talking about a movie. Listen, this is the cat from hell. Yeah. Right? This is what we're going to be really, really talking about. This particular, I feel like the first story's got all these fucking soon-to-be A-list actors that were going to be all through the 90s and into the 2000s. I mean, they're all still working. Mm-hmm. But then this movie has every character actor that you could think of. Not everyone that you could think of, but all of these character actors that always have bit parts. And it's just all these really great character actors all together. 
You will recognize all these people, but yeah. you might not have their name. Oh, yeah. You've definitely seen something, and you were a huge fan of something that those lead was in, mm-hmm. but didn't recognize them off the bat either. No, I, I just, I, I was like, who is this fucking guy? Who is this fucking guy? It was driving me crazy. And then I find out. That's sure. William Hickey. Puppet Master. Yeah. He's fucking too long from the original Puppet Master. He's in a lot of bit things, too. And it's like, same with the other guy, David Johansson, who I didn't recognize at all. But he's in a lot of stuff. Their their credits are quite huge. And William Hickey was in other Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, he was. So he was on a lot of other little TV things. Mm -hmm. I guess when they needed just an old-looking old dude... They would get this guy with a, an impeccable voice. And we had a friend of the family, Dennis, who had uh, throat cancer that sounded very, very similar and looked very similar, although he wasn't confined to a wheelchair like this character is. Mm-hmm. Um, he reminded me a lot of this guy, especially when he'd like yell at a dog or a cat. Now, this story is the where Romero comes in, right? Now, Romero was responsible for the original show. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then Romero comes in with... A Stephen King story. Stephen King adaptation. So we're in Creepshow territory. Big time. Yeah. It doesn't really have the same tone as other creep shows, though, even though it's very creep show centric and it's got people who had created the original creep show and Stephen King as a, as a writer. This is from a story that was in gentlemen's magazines, The Cat from Hell, written by Stephen King in 1977. So quite a while before mm. this came to light, this film. When you say gentlemen's magazines, are you talking about like like Playboy and stuff? Yeah. Like Cavalier, yeah. actually. Ooh, so it's Cavalier. not quite as... Not quite as... Because I was thinking, I instantly got velvet smoking jackets and martinis and... And kind of. It's not It's not swank, by any means. No, it's not swank, yeah. 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 <laughs> so Gentleman's Magazines, nevertheless. Uh, it was probably in A Hustler, too. But it's been in other anthologies of his since, so you can read it without being a perv. <laughs> From the 70s. <laughs> Finding moldy old freaking jack-off rags. I don't know what I want to call them. Fat a friend, of mine, a friend of mine has, he's my neighbor in my apartment building, and I've known him for a while now. He inherited, his father's not dead, but he inherited his father's vast, vast collection of Playboys. And they are going all the way back until the 60s, I'm sure. And And his favorite thing to do is to have people over and to show people... Where, when were you born? Oh, nice. And he goes and gets your, your birth your month. December 1975. <laughs> penthouse. Which I, well, Penthouse, like um, Playboy or Hustler, mm-hmm. any of those. But um, Playboy specifically. I've gone into antique stores and had the old guys working there pull out old Playboys. Mm. They're not hitting on me, I don't think. I don't know. I'm not very, you know, mm-hmm. perceptive of that sort of stuff. But... Showing me like old Marilyn Monroe stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Elvira interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You crack open those books. Ooh, it smells like the hef. Oh, gross. Absolutely gross. Like kind of like whiskey and cigars. That's how I always pictured Hugh Hefner smells. That's sort of how I picture the old ladies in this fucking segment smelling. Holy fuck. They're all dressed up. 
<laughs> like they're going somewhere. Like old socialites, old Hollywood socialites. This is like old fucking California here. Or something. Well, they, they they're dressed like flappers. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> it reminds me of oh, whatever happened to Baby Jane. You had said that when we were watching it, and I do agree. It definitely seems people who were locked in time, and I suppose if you're quite elderly in 1990, yeah, you would have been around in those days, right? And you're still wearing sequined everything and peacock feathers in your hat. Yeah, yeah, the jewel jewel in the center. How weird, yeah. So fucking bizarre. Plumage. why, Why is that a thing that was popular? Especially to lounge around in. This is what they're wearing at home. I know. They're just yeah. they're just walking around. So these old people lived in this mansion and this cat came by. And the old dude that ran the house owns drug and pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And he has hired a hitman, Halston, who I keep thinking of as a detective. Every time I remember this story in my mm-hmm. mind, I think of him as a detective. I think of him as like Demore or something. But he's not. He's a hitman. And he's been hired in this story for $100,000 in the original $12,000. But I guess that's 1977 money. Um, mm. To kill a cat, which seems absurd at first. Yeah, it really does. But it is also entitled The Cat from Hell. Mm-hmm. So, so we know this isn't any ordinary cat. It's not any, or- any ordinary cat, although it behaves like an ordinary cat. And it's adorable and it meows and it's cute. And it's, it's a little curly. black cat. Yeah, it's really adorable. Um, but this whole segment reminds me of my dad my dad is a was a cat hater up until he had to take care of my cat mephisto when i came here for school my dad would be this guy he would be the person who wants you to bring the cat's tail so he can throw it in the fire (laughs) he hated cats he he probably watched this and was like yeah guy i totally get you really yeah the only good cat's a dead cat Wow. Every time you hear a noise in the house, rustling, it's like, the cat must be in the garbage. Everything was blamed on the cat. He hated the cats, which is, I kind of felt for him sometimes because we owned a cat all the time. So my poor father dealing with that until he met the only cat he ever liked, which was Mephisto, which is kind of nice. But this old guy has a hard time with this cat because he's convinced. And to hear him telling the story, I'm kind of on the side of the hitman that no one actually saw any of these deaths take place. So how can you prove the cat was jumping in on the chauffeur and making him smash his car? Another character actor who's highly recognizable. Like, how do you know he tripped his sister and made her fall down the stairs? Mm -hmm. How do you know the cat smothered her friend in her sleep? (laughs) <laughs> Which is a great cinematic, too. The, the cat actor in this is wonderful. The uh, cat animatronics they use are pretty wonderful. Like, you can tell. But, I mean, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's on par, at the very least, with Catfight and Reanimator. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is very, very much. If you take a stuffed cat and wrap it around someone's face and have them struggle properly, you can <laughs> trick anybody. <laughs> So fucking. Although I do like the cat acting of uh, mm. when they show the cat paw going over the person's mouth. Yeah, yeah, it's like the cat's going shh, shh, you're dead, you're dead. <laughs> it's awesome, actually. <laughs> so I really do enjoy the segment for this. Although it is kind of to me the sleeper out of the three. It's not my most favorite. It's it's a far more chill out story. I think it is because of the fact that you had an opportunity to tell this story with a lot more jump scares than there actually is in it. And I think that is because of the fact that they've decided to allow 
a POV shot from the cat's perspective anytime that it's going to be attacking our hitman, Halston. And so we know exactly when that cat is going to attack, even when Halston doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I think that is really what's eliminating the tension, the potential for attention, because I don't know if people would find the cat scary in and of itself anyways. We do know that this cat will kill, can kill, has killed. So that would be scary enough, particularly cats are very stealthy. They're very fast. They can see in the dark. They can smell and hear better than us. They're just small. But as we've seen from lots of movies, small things can still kill you. This cat, holy shit, will life find a way to kill... Because, listen, one of the things I will say about this cat is it seems content on killing very old fucking people. <laughs> people who got one foot in the grave anyways. Halston is a, in his prime. In his prime, and he's armed with arsenic and guns with laser sights. and Switchblades. He, he's a hitman, for crying out loud. He's a and hitman. he's being paid to kill his cat. So the cat is probably, in, in a way, met its match. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way, and... The, the best human for the job. Now, the cat is all friendly while telling the story. And I don't know if the cat can really understand or read intentions or if it is a demon. It's a cat from hell. I mean, I think that it can hear and understand English just fine. So it jumps up on the hitman's lap and is like purring away and being meowy and cute mm-hmm. while it's being told why it's such a vile beast and needs to die. Mm-hmm. All these flashbacks. And the hitman basically says, I can kill this cat right now. Just break its fucking neck. And he's got his hands around the cat's neck. Yeah. I think that he's a little bit of a wuss when it comes to cat bites and cat scratches. Because my attitude is, is if that cat starts biting you and scratching you, hold it tighter until you hear that telltale snap. Yeah, he definitely could have. Instead of saying, sitting there saying like, oh, I could kill this cat right now. He should have just done it and been like, give me my money. Money, please. Yeah. But now he's got a... And we, we know what kind of story this is. So we know, we have a suspicion that the cat's going to win this. But the question is, how is the cat going to incapacitate this guy? Oh, he's got a lethal injection in his hand. Oh, is the cat going to do, uh, do some shit and he's going to accidentally inject himself with it? That'll kill him. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not what's going to happen. And so he's stalking around the house and, and he really has this attitude of, I'm getting upset. This cat's pissing me off. My $100 shirt. Like, fuck, man. T- these days, like, T-shirt will cost you $100. But his $100 shirt's got ruined. He's got blood on it. This cat has scratched his face, scratched his neck, scratched his dick. He has been scratched up, and he is getting pissed the fuck off. And all. And he gets to the point where he, okay, got to calm down. Going to shoot some pool in a place where the fucking floor matches the furniture. And just flannel everywhere i don't know whatever 1990 it's an interesting manner like i really that's one of the things i like about this one is the opulence and i like it about all of this Mm -hmm. that the opulence same with creep show actually i really Mm -hmm. enjoyed that especially when it comes to the old rich people like (laughs) they know how to live they really but even steve buscemi's office yeah for a student for a student he looks like he lives in this old Library. Now, there are places on Ivy League college campuses that mm-hmm. are frat houses, which I'm sure that that was, um, or at least some sort of student housing that's in an old brownstone that could look like that. But yeah, it does seem far too opulent for a starving student, especially the starving students that we would know. 
But yeah, I do enjoy the opulence and the look of this one. And it does, like you were saying, it kills the tension. Just the the nature of the story kills mm-hmm. attention. And the overacting definitely kills attention in mm-hmm. this one. But so does the uh, almost theater style of lighting and the blocking that they're using in this. And that cold blue, that it looks more like a mystery. So you're waiting in a, in a Hitchcockian sense. For this to play out instead of waiting for the next jump scare or big bang, right? You're waiting for it to psychologically play out. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hitchcockian is a good way to word it. It's it's Stephen King by way of Hitchcock, Mm -hmm. especially with how the characters are. Yeah. With a wraparound of sort of like an old English ghost story in a way. Yeah. It does sound like a campfire story up until the point the hitman's stalking around the house with a laser-sighted rifle. Or not rifle, handgun. and, And he's got this cat dead to rights in the laser sight, and it shoots the TV instead. Goes right through it. Seems to go right through it because the cat's just mowing away on his little cat sacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's fucking setting up food dishes on a box like he's Wiley e. Coyote. I know, right? <laughs> and misses it. So at this point, we could assume what is this cat? What is it? It shows up out of nowhere. It starts killing people. It cannot be killed by normal means. It seems to understand you. What is it? We find out beforehand. When the hitman is just about to kill the cat, this cat, the reason why Drogon is so twitchy is this pharmaceutical company experimented on cats. Yeah, they killed up to 5,000 of the cats to create the pills that he's popping like Tic Tacs. Mm -hmm, To keep himself alive. This cat is a vengeance spirit of some kind, and it is brought here specifically to kill these people to get its revenge, but not before... It terrorizes Drogon. Drogon, at his wit's end, hires a hitman, 100,000 fucking large, to kill a cat he could step on. Yeah, right. It seems to make no sense, and that's the hitman's attitude. And our attitude sort of watching, like, it's just a cat. And they do play it up pretty well. Like, the cat hisses and meows here and there like a evil cat, quote-unquote. But for the most part, it's just a very normal cat. So you're pretty much convinced that this old guy's nuts, and this is just a regular cat, and this hitman is just a buffoon. Not so. (laughs) No. No, this is the cat from hell. What do you want to say about the scene? The the cat going in his mouth? I want to say... Thank you, KNB Effects. This is where, you know, if you want to look at some KNB, you want to look at Greg Nicotero's work from then to now. He's just very good at delivering the goods and making things very believable. Yeah. Because even if it is, okay, it's a cat crawling into a grown man. It's impossible. It's something that could never, ever happen. He's pulling on this cat. The cat's clawing its way down. His face is expanding. His lips are splitting. But it's done in a believable manner. So it allows you to believe that this is happening. If you squint your eyes, because it is like a special effect, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not impeccable. There's no CG whatsoever, right? So it's all practical effects. So... But they do it in a, in a manner that is believable. This is what it would look like if a cat decided to crawl into your stomach. And even the idea of this fucking animal doing that, as impossible as it seems. Because I'm thinking, is it just content? There's no way it's contently just in your mouth. It's biting and scratching while it's doing all that kind it's of stuff. It's clawing its way down there. Crawling yeah. its way down there. 
I mean, no. Could a cat... I've seen cats fit in some fucking weird spots. I've seen... Yeah, you know, you see a cat crawl in the arm of a jacket, and then it goes in and it turns around, it has a little nap, and then it pokes its head out. Like, cats are fucking weird. This is no exception. Mm -hmm. And the sound, the foley they have going on, that cat's having a fucking snack in there. Yeah, it goes inside of his throat, crunches through the, the cartilage of the throat, gets into the chest cavity, into the fucking stomach area and then it chills there it kind of does a little turnaround like cats and dogs tend to do when Mm -hmm. they're finding a den spot and they're sort of packing it down a little to find out where their butt would snuggle into a little groove best that's what this cat's doing in there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's done way too well way too well (laughs) fucking drogan shows up again and he is absolutely shocked because here now in the early mornings a lot of his stuff has been shot up because this hitman has just been firing his gun wildly. Yeah. But also, he's dead in the middle of the floor. A gory, gory death. And then out, the the, the, the clock chimes midnight even because it's been shot, it's broken. Yeah. And this cat fucking comes out of this guy's mouth and then basically scares this old man in a wheelchair to death. He's trying to grab his pills. To I guess or they're generic old man. I keeping me alive pills. Fucking aspirin. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Where like- where the idea you see this all the time. This person is on the verge of death, and they need to instantly take this pill. Nitro is the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Nitroglycerin pill patch. Like most people have an inhaler for mm-hmm. nitro, um, and it does do its job entirely so this could be like either aspirin or nitroglycerin who knows what this is it could be anything because he's the one that has made this pill but it is the greatest travesty it is the biggest cinematic disappointment that this old man dies of a heart attack mm-hmm. and the cat's just like cleaning its little paws best cat actor again he's covering carol syrup or something and he just is a nice cat a cute cat a hissing cruel scary looking cat Scary on demand. I don't know what kind of cat actor they got for this, but he's my favorite cat actor ever. It's a good cat. He is a good cat. A cat from hell. (laughs) And then we're out. But not before we're back. What's old Timmy up to? Timmy is still kind of scrambling because Debbie Harry is realizing it's one o'clock. It's going to take at least an hour to gut you and stuff you and you've got to cook. Mm-hmm. Like the oven's preheated, we have to get a move on. Yeah, but she's even more adamant the second time around about getting to the task at hand, which is gutting and and cooking him. This time, she doesn't really seem to put up much of a fuss because he says some magic words. Ooh, this is a love story. This is what she's been waiting for. I've been saving the best for last. It's chauvinist, I think, to think that a woman would be that swayed because you're going to tell her a goddamn harlequin. Maybe. Yeah. Showing us bullcrap. But I let it slide because it's not only Debbie Harry, who I think is super cool. And Timmy's a fun little storyteller. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's, he's into not, it. He's not going anywhere. He's stuck in a, in a pantry with a cage door. It's great. Mm-hmm. But this has grown on me. Lover's vow. This was the story that I really enjoyed seeing the gargoyle. As a kid, I really enjoyed that sort of stuff, for sure. Graveyards, gargoyles, old architecture. I enjoyed that. I didn't really understand what a gargoyle was supposed to be or a golem or any sort of sentient or any sort of sentinel. Like, I didn't really understand that at all, but I liked the look of them like anybody. And I liked the animatronics in this very much. 
as a kid. The whole center of the story meant nothing to me. Forgettable, boring, yawny, adult bullcrap. Until, of course, the end where we get to experience animatronics all over again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's almost laughable now. The artist and the loft department and all of that, that has become such a trope. You know, New York artist, what does he look like? This guy. Where does he live? Where this guy does. What does he do? Stuff, probably. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's, but good looking artist. How many movies have we seen? We've reviewed movies yeah. where, where you're an artist in a loft apartment in New York. We were saying this is the more successful, better looking version of Driller Killer. Yeah. Except he doesn't kill people. Or, yeah. or even hardware. You got yeah. artists in, in futuristic, dilapidated apartments, but still. They're probably still. It was probably this exact apartment just like <laughs> 100 years in the future. Probably. Yeah. And I've been seeing lost a loft apartments all the time to the point where I would always be obsessed. I mean, they have it in the ring, Highlander, those series. There's, I, I see them everywhere where, where people go into a place where they live and it's an elevator into their actual apartment with the cage coming down or the, the wood paneling that you hit to the side. Well, the- what I've always understood that these loft apartments in old factories, these great big where artists live and where starving artists live that, at that or students live, are not fucking cheap. They make it look like these starving artists and students can live there. And, and sitcoms are really bad for that, apparently. Oh, yeah. Um, but like... Those places are not fucking cheap. Not at all. Yeah. So how a starving artist lives there, God knows, but whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, anyone who's ever been to New York and knows anything about the housing market there, the idea of, of, as you were saying, as we were watching, an entire floor of a building to yourself where you're just going to live. Yeah. No fucking way. Yeah. You're probably going to pay $10,000 a month, probably, or something. I don't even know. Too much. Because I know that the most the most inexpensive place that you can get in New York, it seems, is like a, a windowless closet. It, you can't fit a bed in there, and it's $900 a month. So, yeah. There's no electricity, no fridge, no shower, no nothing. You can hardly fit a bed, and it's that much. So, and that's for students. That's what students opt for, these weird little, almost like... Japanese love hotels <laughs> that they live in. Yeah. Craziness. But yeah, you that's totally unaffordable. So it's always just weird to me when you see these artists, starving artists in loft apartments in New York. Granted, it's apparently a bad area of New York, but what area of New York isn't, right? Especially in 1990. Pre-Giuliani, New York. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's what's romantic about it to me because I love that area of New York. I love before the cleanup. It's all dirty and crime ridden. This is pretty crime ridden. Cause our- oh yeah, you can't like the guy's leaving a bar at night, and he's his friend lives around the corner. He's offering to walk him home, like, and he needs to do it for safety's sake. And he's got a gun, and he's like, like shut up the place for the night, and he's got his bars on his windows and everything, like you do. But they show him very obviously packing heat, so it it just reminds you that it is a very dangerous area of town and even when timmy's introducing this story as a scary area of new york that's Mm -hmm. dangerous and a place that nobody really goes Mm -hmm. so that's what sort of new york we're dealing with wes your favorite it is my favorite and we got preston here and this is what's really my favorite about this whole story well no i love the story itself because i'm a romantic guy lids i love uh love stories and i love when love stories are situated around horror gothic and shit it's got radon chong in it 
Oh, I think I say it starts with the decapitation. That's my favorite part. It does start with the decapitation, but Radon Chong is is an actress who I was very part of a joke in my house. And I don't know, I can't remember, I was trying to remember what we were watching exactly where it comes from. But it was something like this. My childhood friends wanted to do something or whatever and i think we needed my dad to drive us or i was asking for my father to help to drive me somewhere or whatever i don't know but his answer was no his answer was no because he was watching the film commando yeah and if you remember it's an Arnold schwarzenegger movie but it's got radon chong in it mm-hmm. and so for years my friends said they would always make fun of my dad, or they make fun of me. It's like, oh, was your dad watching Commando? He couldn't come and help you do this. Or, or oh, can we come over? Is your dad watching Commando? Or something like that. Like people, they, that would go for years. And my dad was aware of it. And he got in on it one time when I, for a radio assignment, when I was in college, my first year of college, I had to ask a streeter about what people's favorite movie was. And so I just recorded my dad and not missing a fucking beat. He, I was like, dad, what's your favorite movie? And he goes, Commando with Arnie Schwarzenegger and Radon Chong. And so people in my college class heard that. And so they kept fucking saying it constantly. Yeah. Arnie Schwarzenegger and Radon Chong. <laughs> so the, this, this actor, this woman's name is everywhere in my... It's synonymous with your father and his favorite movie. And his favorite movie. I don't even know if it was his favorite movie or not. I think he was just joking. He just thought it was funny. And she just so happens to be drop-dead gorgeous. She truly is. She has wonderful hair. Oh, my God. I wish she was still working. Like We were looking up to see what she'd done recently. Yeah, what has she done recently? That was the thing, because I remember all through the 90s, she would pop up all over the place. She was on an episode of That's So Raven, apparently, according to the internet. But, I found yeah. out recently that That's So Raven was about Raven Simone seeing in the future. Yeah. <laughs> she has a new uh, show, Raven's Home. I only know this because of the nature of my day job. Yeah, I heard about that, too. But I remember recently like acting. I was like, what? That was the show? Mm-hmm. And people said, you didn't know what That's So Raven was about? I was like, no, I didn't know what That's So Raven was about. <laughs> I just figured it was a vehicle for Raven Simone to be... On TV again. On TV, a character of herself, I guess. She also saw the future. So whatever. Lovely stuff, huh? Yeah, not to get distracted. It's not shows that we watch, though. No, they're not. So I I don't really know what to make of it, other than the fact that in the lover's vow, Preston here is out having some drinks. He's on hard times. He hasn't sold anything in a while, and we're going to learn a bunch about his shitty artist it's career fucking i hate when they show avant-garde art avant-garde art there are there can be some very interesting i'm thinking damien hirsch you know if i'm gonna think of avant-garde art i want to see a plasticized horse cut in half or some <laughs> fucked up shit something <laughs> worth spending that kind of money for right yeah but what you you said something about like a bunch of sticks tied to a log or some crap like that well it looks like arts and crafts for summer camp like it's a fucking popsicle stick fort that he's building and he's not even exaggerating people no and not only that but even when we get to his art exhibit it's it's a fucking pile of broken wood and now listen i'm listen before i get a bunch of fucking messages i am aware of 
Dadaism and the idea of art existing outside of a frame. And that concept of art has been broken for over a century now. So what are we even talking about? There's good Dadaism. There's stuff that can make you think. And then there's a pile of broken wood. And I'm not trying to differentiate for anyone who would want to be artistically inclined to interpret the splinters and rust of the crap. But this is what this, this is what this really is. It's this guy is an is a modern avant-garde artist that deals in trash sculptures. And so they got their set dressers to go out back at the studio and just grab fucking whatever and we're putting yeah. it on a pedestal. Because this is not actually art. This is this not is, actually yeah. art. He it, it is it is crap art. Yeah. Because and he's also supposed to be a crap artist. Because he hasn't sold a thing in four months. The only reason that he sells anything in the future is blind luck and supernatural interference yeah (laughs) so he's still a crap artist so they did a good job those set dressers pulling garbage out of the trash bin in new york city or wherever the fuck they were Mm -hmm. but yeah it is it is crap art so he's down on his luck his agent has just dumped him because he's a crap artist yeah he he says i i'm i got nothing and oh i can't live off of nothing his agent very rightfully says i can't live off of 10 percent of nothing yeah Right. And, and, and the idea is like, oh, these slimy agents. I was like, I don't even think that this guy's being ridiculous. No, you're, you're, you're gluing popsicle sticks. You're having a hard time gluing popsicle sticks together. <laughs> he has one of his artist meltdowns. He's, like putting this He's living way beyond his means because we know how much a loft apartment in New York costs. Oh, right? I know, right. Like Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So he drinks. Because that's what you fucking do, I guess, when you're an artist and you're dying, you're lucky mm-hmm. your agent dumps and you have no money. Mm-hmm. But your friend is a bartender. Your friend's a bartender. You got another friend, Basil Exposition, that says, listen, this is a short. We don't have a lot of time, so we can't organically learn a lot of things. So if you have a couple of characters in the background saying, oh, that's one of the hottest art galleries in town. Yeah, he must really suck. He must really suck. Uh, um. I get it. I get it. Yeah. We, we need to move on. We don't have a lot of time to, to, to do some shit. But what's going to happen is Preston is going to get a little blotto. Not as blotto as Basil Exposition, who falls asleep at the bar. Asleep at the bar. Walked into the bar. Yeah, playing chess by himself at the bar. Yeah, I think the bartender was probably playing with him. Oh, really? The That'd pals. be so sad. Could you imagine? I know sometimes we go to the Royal Oak up the road and we go grab a, 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 a bite and I drink. You don't drink, but... Um, and there's always like those old guys sitting at the bar and we just kind of joke like they live there. And they basically do. Yeah, there's a there's... couple bars in town that are exactly like that. Oh, exactly for fuck's like sake. That. Yeah. Everyone's just hiding from their wives. It's weird. Yeah, pretty much. But um, Preston gets a, a hand out and then, uh, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh. A hand out? He gets a hand out? Yeah. Yeah, so does the bartender. <laughs> he gets a hand off. He was giving him a hand and then he couldn't anymore. No, it's true. All yeah, of a sudden, he, a he fucking loses his hand. And then... Well, he had seen some rustling and having his gun in his pocket, they showed very clearly that he had a gun. It was fully loaded and ready to go. He shoots whatever it was. Mm. And I guess he wounds what it was. And what it was was a gargoyle. Fucking gargoyle. Because that's what they do at night in New York, I suppose. That's true. Listen, if the if Disney's classic cartoon series, Gargoyles, taught me anything, that they were prisoned in stone for a thousand years. I had pogs of gargoyles. Oh, my God. I also had those fucking gargoyle pogs. Are you kidding me? Yeah. This or is, no, I'm not kidding you. I still have the. This is what it's like when doves cry. Oh my god! 
But yeah, I, I enjoyed the cartoon Gargoyles very, very much, and I really wanted it to it's, be made into a I've, film. I, I've, I, I 100% agree. And not to talk about the cartoon Gargoyles series, that is, in my opinion, the greatest animated series that Disney ever did. The story is so rich, it's so dark. It really and is. And I can't believe that it ran as part of like the fucking Disney afternoon. We were so spoiled. But anyway, the point being is this is a fucking gargoyle story. Very interesting. I like the animatronics on it. The lip flaps between the communication is a little off. But Always. And I don't understand where animators thought, like puppeteers thought that lips needed to move like that. Because you see that error a lot. And Jim Henson like the, was it's, like it's really this, this motion with the lips. I'm like, no lip moves like that. Nah. You know what I mean? I would almost be fine with a solid piece almost like a mask or, or or just it doesn't have any kind of mouth and it's almost speaking like omnisciently, like almost like it has like this Binaural voice yeah, that yeah, can yeah, permeate yeah, your the, skull without its mouth moving. Yeah. yeah, like almost like is he is it speaking or is he is it talking to his mind? Or it's like, like a ventriloquist and it doesn't have to move its mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whatever, yeah. right? I would I would be more comfortable with that too, but like whatever, it worked, I suppose. Yeah, and to be I honest, like it a lot. Yeah, I like it a lot too. I think it's a good special effect. I really like the wings. The wings look fucking. I'd be great. fine with this, even with the weird lips, I'd be fine with this gargoyle. Um, but and and take this and make the gargoyles movie out of this exact model mm-hmm. for an animatronic gargoyle. That'd be cool. Yeah, if you had no money, then you'd have to do it, I guess, this exact way. But for the money that they had at the time, and this is like state of the art animatronics that mm-hmm. we're looking at at this time, they could have made it a little more slimy, a little more glistening, I think. But it is supposed to be made of stone, so whatever. I loved this gargoyle and. I like the wings a lot too. Yeah, yeah, the light hits it really nice. Yeah. Really nice membrane effect. It's 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 really good. Not unlike a, some sort of crisscross between the creeper and spawn. Like yeah. it's got a, it's got a really good creature look to it. Mm-hmm. I like this idea of these ancient supernatural creatures, monsters in cities. I've always found this very interesting. I'm writing a, a thing now that'll be on the website that you guys will be able to read uh, in a few months. Uh, that takes place, it's all urban stuff like that, where we got monsters and cities and, and shit like that. So it's, it's, it's a, I always get really buzzed with that kind of thing. But yeah, his friend is not long for this world. No, hand cut off and decapitated. Now, you think that this creature is going to kill Preston, but it does not. Much like a fairy tale in its, of itself. And maybe you get the sense that this gargoyle only killed his friend because his friend shot at it. And, you know, needed demand satisfaction from that. But it basically says this. I'll spare you if you never, ever tell anybody anything about me. What you saw here tonight, you did not see anything. Mm -hmm. And good thing that Preston is such a cool, calm and composed person because he is the perfect person to keep this secret for eternity. Sure is. Credits. He's also the type of guy who will help a lady in distress. Is she in distress? No, I don't know. She's also just kind of walking by. (laughs) Is she trying to call a cab and this guy fucking beelines right to her, shoves her into a doorway and says, you're trying to call cabs? There's no cabs around here. Come to my house 
and call. Well, he's also freaked out. He just got he just saw his friend get killed quite gruesomely and that. was like accosted by a supernatural beast that swore him to secrecy forever. So his mind's a little scrambled. Mm-hmm. But to see another person, he wants to get her out of harm's way or what he's perceiving as harm's way. He's shaken to the core mm-hmm. right now. So, of course, like seeing somebody just strolling on by. He's going to throw his body in the line of a gunfire. It so is the, the the beautiful, the talented, the always happy for me to see Radon Chong. Yeah. She agrees somewhat reluctantly to go with him. He's going to call the police, but he decides not to. The police officer calls him a jerk or whatever. Yeah. And he says the line's busy. And then he ends up sleeping with Radon Chong. Mm-hmm. Which and, seems abrupt. And this is, as a child, where my attention dropped, like, to the floor on this. I was not interested in this story. I was very interested in the deal. I was very interested in the death. I was very interested in the gargoyle. I was not really that interested in the loft apartment, which I seem to be going back to and very interested in now, but not really. Um, this story, though, has grown on me as an adult because it does seem incredibly sweet. Mm-hmm. It's it's it is incredibly sweet, and what I think, what I like about it. So essentially, what ends up happening is, uh, Radon Chong plays this woman, uh, Carola, and she enters this guy's Preston's life, and it seems so quick. They're, it they're, does because like they go from him shoving her into an alleyway and and demanding that she come to his house mm-hmm. so that she can be safe and call a cab from there to like what the next day she she yeah basically it, you'd say within the course of the week she has moved in and has announced her pregnancy yeah uh he is all for it and why wouldn't he because all of a sudden his life has changed Almost overnight for the better. And she had a friend of a friend that happens to own the hottest gallery downtown. So his art begins selling. Months later, they're doing very, very fine. Mm-hmm, very fine. Making all kinds of money. He is happy. This woman has brought him happiness, companionship, and seemingly at the same time, massive amount of success. Mm-hmm. She's beautiful. She seems to love you. I it now... Yes, I would probably think that it's a little too fast, but then that romantic side of me, it's just like, no, man, go for it. This is the universe giving you – how often does the universe give you exactly what you want? Take it. Never. Fucking take it. And when it does, it always seems to come with a price, right? But we'll get to that. But for now, it seems that this – is exactly what he deserved. He hit his lowest low. Now he's allowed to hit his highest high because he does have the success, this beautiful woman that loves him very much. They flash forward 10 years later, and it does seem to be still exactly that. They're still happy. They're still together. He has his agent back. He's doing very, very well. And you can see in the few little snippets, like I really do like um, the the cut to their lovemaking scene because it does seem very precious and very sweet the way they Mm -hmm. get on. And then in 10 years when they have two children, Mm -hmm. just the way they interact and they talk with their kids, like it is all a put on, it is all shorthand for a happy family. But what strikes me is that conversation that her and the daughter have Mm -hmm. because they're like, we're going to celebrate 10 years because it was 10 years ago that me and your father had met and it was 10 years ago that your, the agent had dumped him. Ha ha ha. And the little girl says, oh, you mean when 
you thought the dad was going to shove you in an alley and rape you? Mm-hmm. And she's like, yes, I do, honey. And it's offhand. And the kid seems a little young to be cracking jokes about rape. But I like that, that this family has that level of communication. This family knows exactly how they met and where they've come from. Mm-hmm. So it is a very open communication in just the little weird rape joke. Mm-hmm. That I really, I really enjoy that little bit to show and really make me believe that this really is meant to be. This is a fairy tale love story right mm-hmm. here, and it, it definitely seems as though what it, it what it seems to be is uh, Carola comes into this guy's life and almost organizes it, fixes not fixes things, but he's frustrated and angry and alone and and almost destitute and. She comes in and, and, uh, Radon Chong as an actor has the, it can really have a lot of poise and sophistication. And so when you see her, it, it just seems like such an upper echelon of life. And she seems the, the, the perfect wife and she's so beautiful and they seem to get on really well with the kids. And so it seems like an ideal family life. And in this case, I buy it. The best part is that it doesn't seem that she actually does anything. She does mention to a friend of a friend that yeah. she knows an artist with great work mm-hmm. that they should look at. She doesn't like, she's no Yoko Ono. No. And she's not like, they're not changing one another. No. They're only bringing out the best in one another simply by being around one another. That's what it seems to be in such mm-hmm. quick shorthand that they do tell you these things in the story because it's not all spelled out for you by Basil Exposition. No. Even though he does come by. He does come by saying that you know something. And man, does Preston act like the most suspicious motherfucker on the planet. Yeah. He's not good with this secret. I mean, I understand that he saw his friend brutally murdered, but... And was told by a gargoyle to never, ever speak of this again. I know, and... He's and been drawing gargoyles all that time for Obsessively years through years the, years. The, the white chalk, and he's getting better at it, honestly. The first picture of the gargoyle I ever drew is pretty lousy, in my opinion. But I could draw a decent picture of a gargoyle. I, it looks just like it. I bet you you could. Mm-hmm. I... I, I think that his art definitely improved on the gargoyle front because he's been drawing it obsessively. And this is also something that uh, Carola finds. She finds a, a half-ripped, well, she rips it, image of this gargoyle. This is something that he's been hiding away this entire time. Now, I didn't really remember this story. So when things first start get going... I, I think, wow, everything's pretty ridiculous. I'd say about like two, three more minutes into it, I said, oh, okay, no, yeah, I, I know what's going on here. And so I don't really think that the story is that difficult to figure out, but I think you're just waiting for that, the other shoe to drop. And that is the 10-year the anniversary to this, the year 2000, the hustle and bustle, future of the year 2000. Lydia, where everyone's still dressing like it's 1980. I still, I think it probably took place in 1980 and ended in 1990, but whatever. If you want to believe this is a hustle bustle of the year 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone was on the verge of fucking, you know, Y2K and Will. Oh, I was going to say hoverboards. Hoverboards and Willennium. But he can't deal with the pressure of this secret anymore. It's too big of a secret. He's got to come clean about the night they met. So he sits her down and he shows her a, a model. A really fucking cool gargoyle model, I'll tell you. Yeah, true. I would love to have this thing. Yeah. It's really cool. Doesn't have any wings, though. Kind of weird. Yeah, man. He's, a, he's an artist. Yeah, this is my interpretation. Yeah. That or he's not done it yet. That's true. And when he tells her what happens, she has this look of sadness, frustration. She gets up. 
And then she's so sad and angry that she told him, you weren't supposed to tell anybody. And then, of course, the reveal that I'm pretty sure most people would suspect. But if you don't, this is going to be one hell of a fucking surprise. Carola is the gargoyle. And she transforms into the creature that she was. For some reason, this thing made a deal with Preston. And not only is this thing going to be able to live as a human, provided Preston never says anything, but this gargoyle will make his life happier. Ten years, he says it himself, ten years of happiness you've given me. That's why I have to tell you this secret. I would argue that he's not really telling anyone that doesn't already know what happened. No, but it's just that he's supposed to never, ever tell. And I think probably one of the, like, supernatural Shinigami realm fucking deals that this gargoyle has is you need to get pregnant by uh, a human that doesn't know your true form Mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of lore that you could concoct around this. Of how, like, the the machination of how this happened and Mm -hmm. why he couldn't tell anyone, but why, Mm -hmm. you know, why she chose him Mm -hmm. in the first place. When she swoops down, why was she just like, huh, huh, you smell like Old Spice and whiskey sweat. I like you. Like, what what the (laughs) fuck was it about this guy that made her choose him? Or did somebody need to have seen her form but not realize her human form is that? Like, what is the deal here? Where's Mm. the the death note? I need to read the rules. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So there's definitely something. But I also would argue that since there's so many possibilities, I don't need a direct explanation because I, as the viewer who has gotten swept away in this short story, I will connect my own dots yeah that and you're taken with the underhandedness of it all and the betrayal of it all that really isn't his fault it's just innocence entirely mm-hmm. he he loved her that was all he did wrong mm-hmm. and in in these in in this tragic love story it, it it what i love about this so much is Not only does she transform, and then he just says, you can just change back. She says, I can't. I can't change back. So that does tell you that there was some, even beyond. There's a deal. It was was even beyond this, her power. Like, there's something that she, a higher power from that is putting on her that these were the, 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 because. It was sort of like, I guess it's like the Littlest Mermaid or some shit like that, right? That's what it mm-hmm. reminds me of quite a lot, even though it's not based on Littlest Mermaid at all. Um, but it's like s- some bigger god told her, you know, oh, well, if you can decapitate a guy and then find a guy that'll let, that'll get you pregnant with a human child mm-hmm. twice, then you can stay on Earth. Mm-hmm. But when she transforms, so does her offspring. The two kids that they've had turn into little baby gargoyles. I enjoy that moment when you can hear the children commotion in the room. And he says, what have you done to the children? Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of sad when you see them come mewling out with their weird animatronic lips and their blinky little eyes. Yeah, Um, And she embraces them with her wings and she says that she loves them. And she tears his throat out. Yeah. I love it. That's adorable. I, I really, really think this is powerful storytelling. I'm glad we didn't have to see the children's um, transformations because we do have a, a lot fed to our imagination with seeing her transformation. Mm-hmm. It would have just wasted a lot of screen time, even though we do spend quite a bit of time with her reverse transformation of these demon claws l- 
tearing through the skin of her Achilles tendon out of the back of her heel, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. The way that the wings unfold from her, the way mm-hmm. her super long arms and giant hands unfold mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of a werewolf transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, right. Like American werewolf in London, that yeah. type of thing, like a very involved. Why does nobody talk about this transformation sequence ever? Why does anyone talk about this movie ever? That's a good point. But yeah, it is a wonderful transformation. Mm-hmm. And it's like on par effects wise, really, with mm-hmm. the cat crawling in or out of the guy's body. Yeah, yeah, it's very strong stuff, very strong. It reminded me of that old story of, um, you know, when, um, you know, when that guy has to go to the underworld to get his lover out of that. And the deal is that like he Persephone can't. Persephone thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not Persephone. Well, Persephone is in the underworld, but it's a Eurydice. Ophius and Eurydice, that's oh, okay. it. And and uh, he goes to the underworld, and then they can, he can lead his love out of the underworld, but he can't look back at her to check if she's still there. So I think, it's again, it's a love story where it's the ultimate trust. But in this, the twist on this is his, in his mind, ultimate show of devotion to break this vow to show his love to her or, or to, but in a way is to like unburden his own conscious conscience of it. And, and then, and, and, and like that old story, it's, it is so much about the deal. It's the fucking deal, man. It's the rules and you broke the rules. And so your love is ruined now. Frog Prince and the Golden Ball all have these sorts of deals as well that people make or mm-hmm. that beings make with some higher power. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it was the frog prince that she probably made this deal with. And so. that's another thing that really spoke to me, even as a kid, even though the, a lot of this story was a yawn until I understood any sort of like grown up human emotions, because I had one once. And it was like the fairy tale of it all mm-hmm. that I liked so much. And it is. And in and, 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 and Japanese folklore, these types of stories, uh, 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 traveler encountering someone in the woods they don't realize is dead or they don't realize is a spirit that is trying to live as a human and and they don't know that they're honoring some sort of cosmic deal yeah exactly exactly but because but they can't know that's always the thing Mm -hmm. is oh if you just explain it to everybody i say well you can't that's not velvet ribbon is a lot like that Mm. too which is even a little more supernatural because it's dealing with an already dead person um, who is hiding something from you. It's like, and Bluebeard is the same way, too. You can do anything you want. You just can't do this one thing. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that's what weighs on him most. And so then when his agent has left the building and is taking a cab, uh, he hears some weird, weird shrieks as the gargoyle takes off, turned to stone, holding her babies to, to her breast. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I love it. And so I'm thinking that is what happened. This thing was stone, a stone gargoyle. It was made flesh. It was given a human form. It could live and procreate and thrive. It was broken. And so the tragedy for this gargoyle, because like, oh, the gargoyle is a bad guy. No, it's not. Now it has to, with its babies, be turned back to stone and have an unlife. It's so cool. Fucking badass. But anyway, we're out of that story. Yeah. We're out of that story. We're back to little Timmy. Back to Timmy. Who loves stories now. He loves stories. He doesn't like cookies so much uh, because it's really done. Story time is done. Mm -hmm. You know what? She has 
a dinner party. There's guests coming. She hasn't even started cooking this kid. Yeah, they better get a move on. Yeah. They're running out of time. They are. I would tell everyone, like, push it back. I like Timmy's scrambling and panicking. He's like, there's a story about this kid named Timmy. And he tells his own story and she gets in. She's just like, we all know how this ends. Mm -hmm. And she's approaching him. Although I will say that if you see a kid that you're about to kill and he's narrating to you how he's going to get out of it, you might want to pay attention to the marbles that he's throwing on the floor. No, it's cute. I don't know. It's a, it's, I'm right there in fairy tale land still. Oh, for sure. To the story. So I'm fine with She this. fucking falls back on all those goddamn uh, cooking uh, needles. Yeah, for trussing the turkey. It's for yeah. like sewing a turkey up. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what you call them, but yeah, you just sort of like stick them all in and yeah, yeah. hold them like toothpicks, like big metal toothpicks, which is hilarious. And of course, she's fumbling and trying to reach back like some sort of cartoon villain. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why she just didn't drug him. There's so many, yeah, but but that's because again, like you said, we're in the fairy yeah, tale land, and so she on. she needs to fall into the oven, basically, like the witch in Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, and she does, which is hilarious. An oven big enough for an adult woman. Yeah, poor Debbie Harry screams, and the flames come up like it's an incinerator, which it's just an oven. Yeah, I know, but it is like a crematorium. You yeah. you really hit the nail on the head. That's really yeah. And then fucking taking his buck forty nine grocery store cookies looking at the camera breaking that fourth wall fuck that shit smashing on the ground i'm getting out of here don't you just love a happy ending it kind of is except the witch died (laughs) (laughs) what that would be the happy ending for most people the googly-eyed normal people yeah yeah the googly-eyed normal people normal with capital n Mm mm-hmm the witch died. It's sad. I think it's sad. I'd like to see a, a sequel where where the witch didn't die. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. Maybe she did trans transform Timmy into her familiar and he became a little black cat. A cat from hell? A cat from hell. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like the he's like that immortal cat from Hocus Pocus, except this one kills people. Oh, the talking cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be fun. <laughs> Salem. Salem, yeah. There's this episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch where Salem is trying to convince Sabrina to do something. And I can't remember the context, but he just kept saying, do it, do it. And I fucking say that all the time. <laughs> I would think that somebody's emulating Invader Zim. But no, it's Salem with you. Hmm, it's Salem, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that second best cat actor next to the cat that calls in and out of human people. Well, wasn't Salem mostly a robot on that show? Oh, was he? I think there was a lot of animatronics in the in the show, but I do know that they used a real cat for his travel shots. Yeah, they used a real cat for lots of it. Yeah, yeah. Salem was a fake cat for a lot of it. Yeah, I know yeah. what you meant now. Like, but I, you, what, I thought you meant like wasn't the secret behind Salem the character that he was actually a robot. But No, no I yeah. think the secret on the show behind Salem was that he was uh, an evil witch that was trying to become a dictator and overthrow the earth and he was punished to be a cat. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like a Stewie complex. Yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. You guys should check out The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. That's a really cool horror comic that is based on Sabrina the Teenage Witch that is coming up in an episode of Panels of Blood. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, my shit. I'm going to okay. do a double double bill of Afterlife with Archie and then The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. We're going to hit them both. That is really fucking exciting. Like, <laughs> really fucking exciting because I love your show, obviously. You. And I want other people to... 
enjoy as I do having you read them comic books because I'm lazy. <laughs> and busy. a lot of things. Yeah, busy. And a lot of these uh, series that I haven't had a chance to get to that I wanted to get to. I have a lot of Afterlife with Archie, but I didn't get into the, any of the offshoots. So I'm really mm-hmm. excited about mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I haven't been doing anything at all myself. So we can just check out. My release of the year, Prelude Eve 2. Yeah, that's uh, a good release, though. It is. It is. I, I'm still very proud of it. I gave Prelude Eve 1 and 2 to my mom oh, yes. for her to read. And she's not... I know that she's read them. So I'll be interested to know my mom's take. Twice in the same week, photos on the internet were brought to my attention by the posters. Uh, one a friend of mine from down south and your mother had both been reading my book and posted photos of it online, oh. which is really cool. So you can do that too. Go to amazon.com slash author slash Lydia or nightface.ca where I post uh, movie reviews sometimes, but not really mm-hmm. reviews, just sort of like snippets of what I think of a thing. Mm-hmm. Not really a movie review, but that's like all I've been doing. Our release schedule is a little bit behind because it's summertime and our two-week schedule now has changed things a little. So I don't know when this will air and when it will air, but the next fun thing I'm doing is Death Note with Chris Blind Torture Cast. That'll be coming up. Are you doing uh, for the Netflix show yeah. or the? Oh, when cool, interesting. I, I I know people got some problems with that trailer, but I think it looks cool. Uh-huh. We're looking forward to it very yeah. very much, we'll and f- not only like to talk about the entire Death Note franchise. Because oh yeah, I'll really- be I'll be interested to 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 listen to that one. You guys are definitely going to want to check it out. But and also do yourselves a favor, go track down tales. Uh, from the dark side this is a really unsung anthology series and i have to say as a person who is revisiting this after many many years this is up there this is i'm gonna start uh touting this i'm gonna start tub thumping as they say to get people more eyes on this anthology and i really ooh, i really hope that we're gonna get a big kick-ass collector's edition i hope so too like you can find the dvd readily and it's on every streaming service for Mm -hmm. very very inexpensive rental and a fairly inexpensive purchase like Mm -hmm. i've picked mine up from xbox film and tv so you can pick it up pretty much anywhere digitally you can find it at any used store and you can probably find it on amazon all over the place um Luckily, I think, and it's hilarious, there's a copy on YouTube, but it's cropped bad. So, ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. If you feel the need to watch it on on YouTube. Then. Mm-hmm. So, I tried to watch Leprechaun 3, Leprechaun in Las Vegas yesterday. And it uh, it was cropped poorly, so I couldn't, I couldn't watch it. And I feel like some parts of it were edited out. Because I was watching it and I was like, I remember this scene differently. So I stopped watching and I was very disappointed. But yeah, anyways. crappy quality. Crappy, crappy quality. quality. <laughs> Speaking of crappy quality... Um, it sounds like such a bad segue. Chris has three songs on an and uh, on a compilation from Feed Me Glass Records mm-hmm. called "Let's Kill Quality," and okay. the point of it is that it's twenty four kilobytes per second, really low quality music. But there's a load of artists because the idea is to cram as much music on one tiny release as possible. He's on there under Anti Inferno, and I don't think in any of the mentions that he's made of this album that he has three songs on. That he said the name that he's performing under, what moniker he uses when he's creating music. There's other bands on there. Um, the Camaroga Conspiracy. Camaroga Conspiracy. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It's a very cool, weird Spanish surf punk 
that I really enjoy. But you have to like look outside of that particular compilation to see if better quality versions of these artists' musics exist. And, and what's this album called again? It's called Let's Kill Quality. It's from okay. Feed Me Glass. You can go to feedmeglassrecords.bandcamp.com. That's where they can get it? It's a free download there. Uh, so, okay, yeah. do yourself a favor, guys. Go to feedmeglass.bandcamp.com. Pick up this album today. Yeah. And then you can like check out the other bands and try and find higher quality versions, which you probably won't find. But no publicity is bad publicity, which can be taken one of two ways. <laughs> and I'm glad that we talked about Panels of Blood. Because Thank no you. publicity is bad publicity, Wes. Thank you. And we've had people mention, they get confused about who's on what show. And they think that both of us talk about anime on Dead Cells, which I haven't done for quite some time. And they think that both of us talk about comics mm-hmm. on Panels of Blood. But it, it, It's funny because when I first decided, that, oh, I'm going to maybe start doing Panels of Blood, the first Twitter comment. The first one that I saw was a guy saying, oh, that's going to be amazing with the way that Lydia can describe stuff. And and I was just like, oh, it's just going to be me because I don't want to make Lydia do a whole other thing. She's already doing That's the reason why. You know what I mean? The fuck? And yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not on. I wouldn't have no, oh my God, no input and no time. The amount of time that you put into that. And the show sounds impeccable. What I always think is funny is that it's comic books, right? You yeah. know, funny books. Picture books, Wes. Yeah. You get all your fucking sillies out on this show. You want serious, Wes? I know. <laughs> People say that all the time. They, they, they say you sound so serious on it. I and sound far more serious on Dead Cells, too, which is weird. I guess it's just we get our sillies out here. I guess. But also, I'm reading... The book, right? So, I mean, if it was a sillier book... And and also, sometimes I'll make, like, quips or I'll comment as I'm reading stuff. But then I'll cut it out because I think... Does, is someone who's listening to... They just want the story. They don't want fucking color commentary from me. They just, they just want the story. And so, the only time that I leave a sides in is... Usually, if this is about the how to make a comic book. So, I'm talking about what the people making the book, the reason why they're doing the things they're doing. I'm talking about um, page turners, how you do a page turner, a ballet of blood, how do you indicate motion without doing lines like that, why they do omniscient narration versus character narration, how they indicate flashback through art. That's what Hackslash have been talking a lot. And one of the things that I really wanted you to hear about the the next episode, I don't know if you've listened to the latest No, I downloaded it, but I haven't had a chance yet. So they have a flashback sequence and it's all the whole thing about Farmer Fig. There's, sorry to talk about this on the show, guys. That's fine. But there's... Um, I'm answering for them. They're like, that's fine, Wes. Go so on. So there's a flashback sequence and this whole story around this farmer and his sexy daughter. We learn the truth about that and they tell it through flashback. All the panels lined with corn stalks. Oh, nice. It's really, really cool. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. You're dealing with characters. It's like, it's lots of corn. It's a, the whole thing is taking place in like a cornfield. There's corn stalks around the things. The guy's wearing a crow skin mask. Nice. Like it's, there's all these, and I'm like, oh my God, all of this seems like it was written for Lydia. Yeah. <laughs> it does. And now I, I not only need to listen to it, but I, I do want to see this comic mm-hmm. in, in the papery flesh it is. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Fascinating. What do we got next for him? Coming up next with Tales from the Hood. Oh, my God. You know, want to know something? I am so fucking excited about this. This film, and I'll talk about it next 
time we're on the show. This film made it into one of my all-time favorite horror films that made it feel like Halloween to me. Like because I remember when they made me do like a top 10 list and I didn't want to do that, so I did like a top 5 list about cuz like come on, top 10 list to li- to horror movies to watch at Halloween. Would you be really surprised about any fucking movie that I picked? Would you be surprised that Halloween would be number 1? You could put fucking any movie in that list. I hate top 10 lists for that exact reason. But, but, you can but, really just put whatever. So I said like what as a kid made me feel like it was Halloween? And so I put in like left field shit, like fucking mm-hmm. Sleepy Hollow cartoon and 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 this, that, and the other thing. And I put Tales in the... I also put uh, People Under the Stairs there because yeah. those were the movies that were... When I was a kid in the 90s, those were in heavy rotation. And Tales from the Hood was one of those films. I fucking love this movie. And I'm so happy that we got a request because it was a perfect excuse to buy the fucking kick-ass Blu-ray edition. I like. I needed an excuse. I was like, oh yeah, now I need it. And then, <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then we get to talk about it on the show. So I'm super pumped for this one. Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, we're gonna do Dead Silence after that because we're gonna get it yeah. a little more current. We're going forward in time. Then we'll go back in time after Dead Silence, and mm-hmm. you can all guess what we're gonna get to after uh, Dead Silence. But. For now, it's a secret because I don't want to go any further than two in the future because then we're chiseling things in stone. I know, right? Yeah, we don't want to do that. No, we want to chisel things in flesh and blood. Or those like little tiny travel things where you had like a wax tablet with a little piece of plastic acetate over the top and you'd write and then you'd rip off the acetate and go and it would erase it. Sort of like an old fashioned (laughs) etch a sketch. That's what I want to write things in wax tablets. So we'll go back about 90 years and then have that happen. Yeah. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. On your gramophone. Roar, 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 roar. What is that? <laughs>